Welcome to Financial Planning for Oil and Gas Professionals, hosted by certified financial planners Justin Brownlee and Jared Machen of Brownlee Wealth Management, the only podcast dedicated to those of you in the oil and gas profession to help you optimize investments, lower future taxes, and grow your wealth. Learn more and subscribe today at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Welcome back to another episode of FPOG, Financial Planner for Oil and Gas Professionals. This week on the podcast, we are talking about oil and gas M&A, perhaps a super duper major, right? Like we can't have a podcast with oil and gas in the name and not talk about the massive headline news. We're recording this in early November, 2023. Chevron has stated their intentions to buy Hess and ExxonMobil has stated their intentions to by Pioneer. And so these are two mega deals, right? Both about $60 billion made in about the same month. So I think in this episode, Justin, it's only fair to break it down and talk about, you know, 10,000 foot view, what's happening. Everybody in our profession probably already knows. Um, and then you and I will talk about, hey, what do, what do we think? And then also too, I think a good place to kind of round it out is, okay, this is a show about financial planning. To any party that's potentially affected, what are some financial planning things? That we're thinking about. I love it. Uh, pretty crazy news. Um, Jared, I, I don't think we could have imagined, you know, tackling this topic a few years ago. Uh, oil had so many difficult years and it just feels like this is a massive statement. Oil is back. Texas is back. And here we are. Yeah. So I will, for just in case anybody doesn't know, I'll just give a brief synopsis of like, what happened and then we'll talk dive more into what you were talking about justin of like okay what does this mean and so like i said exxon mobile uh has a 400 had a 430 billion dollar market cap give or take depending on the day you picked it pre-merger right so they buy pioneer um in an all stock deal right for 64 almost 65 billion dollars right and the main a lot of the commentary and reasons they Bought Pioneer, a lot of the assets they have in the Permian, right? So deeper, going even deeper into the Permian Basin and kind of vertically integrating and kind of taking advantage of some cost and infrastructure midstream efficiencies, right? So really kind of controlling the value chain, going deeper into the Permian Basin, going deeper into America and doing an all-stock deal, right? And compare that to Chevron's deal, Chevron buying Hess, right? Chevron's a little smaller, $310 billion pre-merger market cap. Uh, depending on when when you pick it, right? Because market cap fluctuates a lot for companies that big. But they're buying Hess for uh, $60 billion. And their assets are a little different, right? Assets are getting in the Balkan. So, you know, up north, Gulf of Mexico, Guyana, Southeast Asia, right? And so really kind of two different strategies. You know, Chevron's going to pass Shell and basically deep water and ultra deep water assets, right? So they're, so they are, ExxonMobil is like doubling down, if you will. And Chevron is kind of diversifying and it's two really different strategies. But Justin, like that's at a 10,000 foot level, what happened? What do you think it says about the state of oil, the state of this profession, the state of building a career in this space? I think it's an emphatic statement that it's not going anywhere. 
Um, and so you think about talks of an energy transition. And if you're 22 or 25 today, would you start a career um, in oil and gas? And, you know, I think we've always, I would say everyone in finance has had this mindset that, gosh, this transition is way farther off than anyone realizes. Um, this is not 20 years off. It's not 30 years off. I, I don't know if it's 130 years off. Um, so I do think it is a statement uh, that the current state of the industry uh, is going to continue. The need, the demand for oil and gas is increasing. It's not decreasing. And, uh, you know, I've, a lot of talking heads will kind of say that, you know, we are going to continue to need everything. We're going to continue to need to more efficiently produce oil and gas um, as well as bring renewables. And I think at the end of the day, these transactions are just another statement that we're talking about two companies in Chevron and ExxonMobil that uh, very much have the ability to have staying power uh, for multiple generations. And so, Jared, I think you and I talk a lot about how, gosh, we don't really put stake in any company being around for two generations. Uh, companies go out of business all the time. And there's going to be companies that really thrive 20 years from now that don't even exist today. So I, I do think while we never want to make bets that a specific company is going to thrive 20 years from now, even though we're confident that the index will thrive 20 years from now, I do think this is a little bit of a bet that, hey, the industry in its current form is not going anywhere. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, I think if you would have gone back in time to negative oil and said, hey, within the next five years, two super majors are going to do $60 billion acquisitions with oil above 80, you would have, you would have laughed at that person. Yeah. Right. Like it, like well, it, it seems like the M&A activity picks up when the ground is shakier. Right. And like M&A has always been a part of oil and gas for a long time, long periods of time. Right. Boom and bust. Like a lot of people will be kind of overexposed or need to reshuffle some debt. Right. M&A has always been a part of the space. But doing deals of this size when oil is at this price it it is kind of like a, a fork in the ground of like man hey our our medium to long term outlook is is pretty bullish right if you think about the assets that they're acquiring right like yeah it's they're they're doubling down so i think one is like kind of what you said right like hey like the energy transition like we've talked about this in past episodes but sentiment precedes infrastructure right so there's a lot of sentiment for energy transition but like you know, there's a lot of infrastructure that, that needs to change. And quite frankly, like battery capacity and like, you know, latency of solar, right? There's a, and like, and wind, right? Like, so there's a lot of like fundamental issues with that. Um, and so I do just think it's wild that like both of these deals were done um, with oils where it is, right? Like it shows like long-term sentiment of, hey, wow, there's a lot of opportunity. I do also think it's like worth calling out, like both of these deals were done as like entirely 100% stock deals, right? Like I think if the smaller players were like really saw like an existential threat, they'd probably want to, hey, maybe some cash, maybe some stock and kind of de-risk the stock, right? It, it's almost like, hey, I, 
I have a really concentrated position. I want to diversify into a super major, but I'm still bullish on oil and gas. So, so it was wild that the super majors did these deals. But if you look at these companies, it's also wild that they kind of did it for all stock in basically a more diversified play than the one they're making in the same sector. Um, so I think just like the nature of the deal on both sides of the equation really gets at kind of what we're talking about of like, there has been a systematic underinvestment in energy infrastructure over the last 10 years, I think. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of consolidation. And Justin, part of this is like really just the state of affairs. Like, I don't think like if you look at any other industry like this, I think consolidation is the name of the game. I think there's a barbell approach happening in the world, i.e., the bigger players are getting bigger. And then there's a bunch of like smaller, super niche operations that are doing just kind of one-off stuff, right? I think the middle, the middle is getting hollowed out. Um, like with a lot of things in the world today, because I think cost of compliance, cost of business that, you know, it just, it's going up. Like the regulatory cost is going up. So I, I do think like, like, and that's not specifically an oil and gas thing. It is exponentially more so in oil and gas, right? Because of the because of the, like the syntax, if you will, and its positioning in the eye of the consumer. But I do think that like this is happening in a bunch of different industries, but it is kind of really telling the timing of when this has happened in this industry. Uh, also pretty fascinating to go back to the days of the Oxy Anadarko merger and Chevron was kind of in, you know, a position to, to purchase Oxy. And so Jared, who could have imagined that that doesn't happen? You know, Warren Buffett comes in, uh, or sorry, Chevron was, uh, you know, uh, purchasing Anadarko. Warren Buffett comes in, history changes, and Oxy purchases Anadarko. And my goodness, we're sitting here three years later, and Chevron has just, you know, they're on the verge of, what, two massive purchases uh, in the last year or so? So Noble Energy and now Hess. And so pretty interesting. And yeah, I agree with you. Certainly interesting to see the activity that's happening in super majors. And then what are smaller producers doing and kind of that barbell effect. Funny happening in RIAs too. So yeah, every industry imaginable. Uh, yeah. It's really how it's going. Yeah. The start this, like the barriers to entry to starting a business have never been lower, but like growing an enduring enterprise, it's never been harder, right? Cause the political cost and like, like the complexity and the legal climate is way more intense than it has been historically. So it seems like it's really easy to start. It's really hard to build and sustain. So I do think that, you know, that hollowing out of the middle is, is happening all over the place. So Justin, I'm going to ask you a question, but I will go first uh, because I'm springing this on you and this wasn't in the show notes. So I want to ask you, which one are you more bullish on personally? Um, and I have a feeling based on knowing you and where you reside and your feelings about the place you reside. I have I have a hunch of what you're going to say. Um, so I think I'm going to take the other, but we'll see. So I'm going to say that I'm slightly more bullish on Chevron buying Hess. It is, it's, you know, it's, they're buying different assets, right? So it's like a, it's more of a diversification play versus a doubling down play. And it's probably like, it seems more risky because they're going into a bunch of interesting geographies, right? Like with Hess having assets in Southeast Asia, in Guyana, it's like, you know, very interesting. But I do like, I'm a big fan of, I think two things are going to make it worthwhile. I think if you look at where incremental energy demand is, it's in emerging economies, right? Like the, the better the quality of life, the more energy you consume, right? And I think as the middle class in these emerging co economies grow, 
like they are going to need a lot more of the incremental energy on a go forward basis. And I think that having assets and production nearby is going to be a strategic advantage. Um, and I think the other thing is the political framework, uh, like political diversification, right? I think one of the big tail risks is like somebody just like outright banning production. I see that as very low probability due to our dependence on it, but you know, I, not that it's not that it's sensible, but there is kind of like a political wild card component here. And so being spread out in a bunch of different geographies kind of seems like a, like a good, good risk management. Cause man, sentiment is, it's kind of grim for a lot of people outside of oil and gas related to oil and gas. Uh, and so for those reasons, I think Chevron is a little more interesting of the deal in my mind. And I grew up in El Segundo, which is a, you know, the name of the second, second refinery town, big Chevron hub there. So, you know, it's part of part of my history. So I got to go with Chevron. That makes sense. I'm going to answer this in a totally selfish way. Uh, I'm more excited about ExxonMobil and Pioneer. Um, if you aren't super familiar with our firm, Brownlee Wealth Management, uh, we really have two primary locations, uh, Fort Worth and Houston. So Fort Worth, the Galleria and the Woodlands. Um, thanks to the enormous amount of severance packages that happened in 2020 and 2018, we now have clients everywhere. So Jared, I don't even know how many states we have clients in right now, but basically those events, those negative oil events caused so many different retirements and then kind of everyone spreading to the four corners. Uh, but again, if you're not super familiar with our firm, our hubs are really Fort Worth and Houston. And so for ExxonMobil to, you know, purchase Pioneer, there is a tremendous amount of footprint here in the DFW area and a lot, a lot of Fort Worth. Uh, a lot of Pioneer employees live in Fort Worth. Um, kind of interesting too, Jared, you know, ExxonMobil, uh, uh, if you're not, you know, in ExxonMobil, you may not be totally familiar with this, but Harris County offered ExxonMobil tremendous tax benefits to build their headquarters in Harris County. Well, Montgomery County also offered them incredible benefits. And so functionally, ExxonMobil really had two campuses. They have the Springwood Village campus uh, just south of the Woodlands um, that everyone knows about. You know, it's a palace, super nice. Uh, but they also had a functional second campus in Hughes Landing. Uh, when oil went negative, when the pandemic happened, they basically closed out of that campus. Um, but I mentioned that. And over the course of, let's say, 2018 to 2021 or so, uh, ExxonMobil functionally took anyone who was still in the Irving offices, so anyone in DFW, and they really consolidated pretty much everything to uh, to Springwood Village and in Spring, Texas. And, you know, they really did the same thing with Northern Virginia. Um, so everything got consolidated and everything, anyone who was in DFW largely had to go down to Houston. So I will be interested to see what the footprint uh, with Pioneer is in DFW, um, as well as Midland, Odessa. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to personally answer that question that, hey, if you if you know me, our family, we had all of our kids in the woodlands um, and now we live in Fort Worth. Uh, we love both locations and I still, gosh, I probably am in Houston 18 times a year. 
which I'll give a really quick side note. I'll try to be brief on this because we need to keep moving it along here. But you cannot imagine how fun it is to own a business in Fort Worth and Houston with the ALCS happening last week. So I got I got to go to four of the ALCS games. I went to three in Houston, one here in Arlington. Um, I am a Rangers fan, so apologies to you know our our friends and clients in Houston. Um, but that was just so fun to be able to uh, do that. Got to take got to take my wife to one game, got to take my oldest son to game seven in Houston, took the entire family to game five when uh, Jose Altuve just broke our hearts. But all that to say, we've got major ties to the Woodlands, to Houston and to Fort Worth. And so I think for that reason, I'll, I'll go Exxon Mobile and Pioneer. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, makes sense, man. It's also ironic that you went to more, uh, more of those games in Houston than in your hometown of uh, Dallas, uh, DFW. It really is funny. Yeah. yeah. I really um, went on a baseball bender there. Um, oddly did, enough, you... I did a ton of work too over the last month, but it's been fun. It's been fun to go to a bunch of baseball games. Okay. So kind of adjacent question. Um, and I'll have you start this time. So, and maybe your answer can also be equal. Uh, which one has higher odds of getting through FTC antitrust unscathed? Do you, or do maybe maybe one doesn't have higher odds. So I kind of worded that question weird. But do you My think they both have equal, equal odds, or do you think you know both have? I think low they odds? both have equal odds. I think they're both going to go through. So I'll just answer this rapid fire. That's my answer. What do you think, Jared? Yeah, I also think Chevron because again, it's like they're like FTC tends to be monopoly oriented, right? And so like a diverse like buying international assets will kind of come under less scrutiny than buying stuff in the U.S. Or you know, and of course these both these companies are multinational, so they so right they do have assets, but. Uh, but I do think that the focus of assets in the Permian is just going to draw slightly more scrutiny, but I do think both of these go through. Okay, Justin, this is a podcast about financial planning, right? Like, so we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, okay, what financial planning considerations are there? A, if you're working for one of the, what we'll call super duper majors, and you just acquired a smaller company, probably less planning opportunities, but still worth considering. And then B, if you work for Hess, or Pioneer, what are things you should be thinking about? You know, I think the first place I want to start, uh, the IRS made um, a specific kind of rule around this. It's called Section 411D6, and there are anti-cutback rules. So functionally, what this does is there is an element of uh, IRS protection. If you work at a company, have specific retirement benefits mapped out, and that company gets purchased. So if you are at Hess or at Pioneer and you have specific retirement benefits and you're thinking, you know, how in the world is this going to merge? Am I actually going to get credit for this? There is there are some protective mechanisms um, within the IRS code that actually say that uh, that there, there needs to be protection there. So I think you can likely count on the benefits you've been counting on. Uh, Jared, there's so many moving parts with this. Um and I'm trying to think of where all we should cover where to go next. But, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to if you are at Hess or Pioneer, I mean, typically speaking, Jared, we saw it in our industry. Charles Schwab bought TD Ameritrade. 
you don't really buy another massive company uh, without the thought of having some synergy and the ability to buy their assets and not have the same amount of expenses as those two companies individually have. So I do think it's critical to CFPs. We Our job is to plan for worst case scenarios. And I do think it's critical to begin to ask the question, can my balance sheet handle a change of career event um, and kind of start to think through that a little bit? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think but I do think like this is the planning stage, right? I, I wouldn't make the first move, right? I think there's there's like all downside to making the first move, right? Because if there are these synergies, there's going to be severance, right? And if there is, if you are retained, there could be retention benefits. So like assuming this and acting before your employer does is probably not a good move, right? So like I I, I would take your sweet time here especially because like a lot of times when these things happen, the oil and gas environment you're walking into is a little more, I would say just frantic, right? Like there's a lot of transition, a lot of turnover, oils at a lower price, places are tightening shop. They're not developing their workforce as much, right? So, um, so I'd be extremely, you know, the environment that you're entering probably isn't as bearish as oftentimes when there's more M&A activity. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the first step, but I would also like know your benefits, like know, okay, what are you entitled to? Uh, Are RSUs or equity comp accelerated? Full transparency. We don't have any clients uh, at Hess or uh, Pioneer, but if you're listening to this and you're one of those, we'd love to see your stuff and just kind of get help you get oriented with it. Um, But if you're working at one of the big super majors, right, I would just say, I would say business as usual. Um, and a lot of, you know, c- companies this, this size do M&A. Yeah, it's smaller, but M&A like this all the time. So it'll just be business as usual. And just, it's, a, it's I would say these things are a reminder that, hey, you have, your profession has, has headwinds that you're painfully aware of because of the news, but also they have some tailwinds, right? I think like both of these companies doing deals this size should make you bullish about future prospects with your employer and the profession at large. The other thing I I think it's important to think through is when we've seen acquisitions like this, uh, we have seen some examples of companies using it as a reason to push forward in their benefits package away from pensions. And so in the IRS's eyes, the way they would view this is a pension is a defined benefit plan. A 401k is a defined contribution plan. Um, Companies no longer like to do defined benefit plans because people are living significantly longer than they were 50 years ago. Um, And so, you know, there are some Anadarko spinoffs. And I, you know, we have an article on our site. This is a few years old, but Western Midstream, um, you know, they wanted to move away from pensions and instead just gave a, you know, truly massive 401k match. Uh, to essentially kind of swallow up that pension benefit. So I think that's something to look out for. Uh, Will in the next six to 12 months, will these uh, transactions be finalized and will HR benefits be consolidated into one plan? And will they change some of them? Will they move forward? Typically speaking, what we see most of is every year that goes by, companies are doing less pensions and they're doing more equity compensation. RSUs, stock units, phantom stock units, any type of equity compensation. And so I think that is a tremendously important point because it changes your balance sheet. 
it goes from building wealth in qualified retirement plans to still having some in qualified retirement plans, but having some other wealth in more liquid brokerage assets. Uh, that also changes which parts of your balance sheet are protected from creditors versus not. Um, and, you know, Jared, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention open enrollment is now. Uh, if you're thinking through what's the biggest risk in my balance sheet, well, if you are, you know, 34 years old and your net worth is $800,000, your greatest asset is your future earnings. And one of the most critical parts of your balance sheet, one of your financial plan, if you are married, have kids, is disability insurance and life insurance. Whether this is good or bad, I won't even go into this. Whether it's good or bad, a ton of people, vast majority of people, fill the need for disability insurance and life insurance through their employer in open enrollment. Um, whatever your benefit is, you can, if you're at Hess or Pioneer, you should probably expect it to change slightly in the next 12 months. And if you're in that camp where you get disability and life through your employer, uh, you know, you want to really be mindful and read the details and understand exactly what you're going to have. Uh, Jared, anything else you would add there? No, I guess that's the one spot it wouldn't pain you to be proactive is if you have difficult uh, from an evidence of insurability perspective, right? If you if you're eligible for group coverage, you're generally you know streamlined underwriting, if you will. So, like great example, my business partner and colleague Justin Brownlee has had cancer, right? So him getting him getting policies is just more difficult than the average person. And so the younger you are, the better it is, you know, the better off you are to apply or there's kind of thresholds within disability and life insurance where premiums will go up pretty substantially. So if you're kind of at one of those cutoffs, or if you have difficulty obtaining care due to underlying medical conditions, you know, I wouldn't sign up for another thing, but the, the problem with having all your coverage through your employer is if there's an employment change, you lose that. So, you know, there's not a right answer, a hugely personal decision, but something to begin kind of thinking through. Um, but Justin, I think, Man, I think if any, if there's like any takeaway, it's, you know, hey, from a financial planning perspective, stay put and, and be optimistic. But I would, I would love to hear from our listeners, who do you think did the better deal? Which one do you think has a higher odds of, you know, skating through the FTC uh, without any antitrust hurdles? Uh, and we'd also he love to hear from you if, if you work for a small oil and gas player uh, that is acquired or thought about, you're thinking about being acquired or navigating a transition. Also love to hear from you as well. Until next time, uh, thanks for joining us. Any any questions, Brownlee at Wealth Management, uh, podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can subscribe or connect with us at brownleewealthmanagement.com or send ideas for future episodes to podcast at brownleewealthmanagement.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Nothing discussed during this show or episode should be viewed as investment, legal, and tax advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please consult the appropriate qualified professional.